This episode is brought to you by Damsel in Defense. Damsel in Defense creates products that allow you to enhance your safety through items that you either carry on your person in one of your bags or purses or something that you can keep in your home or in your car. Damsel also is involved in fighting human trafficking by creating damsel houses. Currently, there are two, one in Cambodia and one in India, where girls are rescued from sex trafficking and they are given housing and shelter and helped to form a plan to build new lives and no longer have to sell their bodies. So the goal for Damsel is to have a home in every country that their partner organization, which is called Destiny Rescue, is rescuing in. I became a damsel rep not because I really wanted to sell self-defense products, but because so many of my clients wanted to buy them, and I wanted to a, give them a good vehicle to buy products that I knew were good quality products that were workable, and B, because I wanted to be able to provide them the training to actually learn how to use those products and be realistic about when they can and cannot be helpful. So I became a damsel in defense pro, and if you are interested in checking out their products, which cover a wide variety of things, everything from stun guns and pepper sprays to coup batons and striking batons, tactical pens, you can access products from damsel through my website by going to cynthiajolicur.com slash resources. And that's where I have highlighted a few of the products that I really appreciate and think are a good value. So check those out if you're interested. And remember, you don't have to be a damsel in distress. You can protect yourself and can get some help in doing that through Damsel in Defense. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicour. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Gillicour, and today I am going to dive into the subject of self-defense tools. Do you need them? What are some of the issues involved in carrying them? You may think that I'm opposed to women carrying self-defense tools because I teach that you can't make them the top priority for your safety. You need to be able to use your human weapon system, your natural tools, first, and then supplement with external things. The truth is that I love self-defense tools. Not all of them, but a select few that can actually make a difference. And I sell some of them on my website via Damsel in Defense. I don't sell firearms, but I am qualified as an NRA instructor, and I do include a firearm as part of my set of available tools. I thought that I'd take some time to thoroughly explore the subject of self-defense tools, because I hear a lot of women talk about them as if there's some kind of magical solution that they can buy that automatically makes them safer. The truth is that, yes, they can be useful, but only in certain circumstances and only if you train with them. Why carry a self-defense tool? Well, you may want one because you don't know, quote, the moves to protect yourself, and you may trust a tool more than you trust yourself. Maybe it's because you like to have options. 
options for different ranges, maybe up close, at arm's length, or a little bit further, across a room even. Sometimes you want to carry a tool because it can increase the amount of damage that you can inflict, and it can make you safer sooner. Another reason why you might want to carry a self-defense tool is because most of them are not lethal. They'll hurt, they'll possibly incapacitate your attacker, but not kill him or her, and they can give you the opportunity to get away and call for help a little bit quicker. What are some of the downsides of carrying a self-defense tool? Well, many of them are marketed as being a perfect tool for a woman to carry, but they are actually poorly designed and they don't really work. The runner's ring is an example of one. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's a little plastic ring that you slide onto one of your fingers and it has a long pointy plastic spike that runs parallel to your finger. That actually only works if you strike with a punch and not even if you strike with an actual good punch because the way you have to hit if you're going to actually poke somebody with this thing is you have to bend your wrist back towards your elbow in order to make the pointy bit point at the person that you're trying to use it on. That's just mechanically ridiculous and the darn thing's plastic too. It's not even a robust tool. So give that one a try if you want to play with something and learn how mechanically impossible and how basically useless a tool like that can be. Unfortunately, that's not the only tool that gets marketed as being the perfect thing for you to carry that is not actually well-designed and functional. Another downside is that if you depend on that tool for your safety and you lose it, You've got nothing unless you've actually trained yourself to use your own physical being. If you've put all of your eggs in the tool basket and it either gets dropped or broken, then what are you going to do? It can actually be something that is taken away during a scuffle or a fight and sometimes even used against you. Some tools can actually affect you as much as they affect the target. Pepper spray is a good example of that. I hear so many women say, oh, I'm safe, I'm protected because I carry pepper spray. And I ask them, when do you think you might actually use it? And sometimes they'll say things like, oh, you know, if I'm in a ride-sharing vehicle like an Uber or something and the driver is doing something sketchy and maybe won't stop or won't let me out or I think there's something he's doing that is going to be dangerous for me, I'll just pepper spray him. It's like, yeah, okay, you'll be inside a car spraying somebody from behind, probably, because you're probably sitting in the back. So A, how are you going to get it in his eyes? And B, you do know that that is going to get on you as well, because you're in a closed system. Another major downside to carrying a self-defense tool is that if you have one with you, you may find yourself in a conflict hunting for an opportunity to use it and therefore missing a whole bunch of opportunities to do something else that might actually get you to safety. I saw an instance of this in a scenario training that I did not too long ago where one of the people doing a scenario had a training gun and went into this situation where he actually had a lot of different options on how to handle it and maybe even defuse it 
But what he ended up doing was pulling the gun and using that and shooting the person in the scenario. And my take on what happened was because he had that with him, he knew that it was there and he actually made choices that put him in the situation where he was able to draw it and use it. That's kind of an extreme example. And that was just in a training scenario. But in the real world, if you have a tool, that's like that little runner's ring that I was talking about. If you have that on your hand or you have, you know, you do what a lot of women do and they stick their keys through their fingers. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to try to find a way to actually use that. And those targets that you could actually hit with those tools the way they are might not actually present themselves, but you'll be looking for them and you'll be missing a whole bunch of other things that you might be able to do, like a groin strike or an elbow to the face. You might even miss the fact that you could actually turn around and run. So carrying the tool can sometimes predispose you to looking for opportunities to use it and missing other opportunities to do damage in different ways or even get yourself to safety. And for me, one of the biggest downsides of a lot of the self-defense tools that are on the market right now and the way that women tend to think about them is that it can change your perception of how safe you actually are. There is sometimes the perception that carrying a thing is going to make you safe and that somehow that means that you don't have to be quite as aware of your situation because you've got your pepper spray in your purse. Or you might let somebody get a little bit closer to you than you normally would because you know you have a tool with you that you can use on them if you need to. So the truth is that carrying a tool does have some downsides. And the biggest one is just that if you think that it's going to be your go-to thing in the moment where you get ambushed and attacked, you're going to be sadly surprised because that's not going to be what you're going to be able to get to first. What's going to happen in the first few moments of an assault is an oh shit moment where your reptilian brain engages and takes over, puts your survival first. You'll flinch to some degree and in whatever direction the threat is coming from, try to push away danger and you'll be at that point where you're going to have the choice of either going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, what's happening? This can't be happening. Oh my God, this can't be real. Oh no, what do I do? What do I do? And just looping around in that. Or you'll get through the emotional impact of that and you'll make the choice to say, "Aha, uh-huh, okay, this is what's happening. Now what am I going to do? And that's the point where your cognitive brain has caught up to the action And you can actually start thinking about applying your natural tools and possibly accessing something that you have on you or something in the environment that you can use as an improvised weapon. Those are the downsides. Now, how about my recommendations if you do want to carry a tool? First of all, obviously, you need to learn how to use your body first. You need to learn about your human weapon tools the ways that you can use your body to inflict damage on another human body. You need to understand how your brain works, how your physiology acts to protect you, and what happens when a body gets injured or damaged. And you need to understand how you can apply your tools to targets on the person who's assaulting you. Then you can actually add in the supplement of an external tool. 
My second recommendation is that whatever additional carry-along tool you choose, you need to train with it. You need to train with it in scenarios. At bare minimum, you need to simulate the effects of fear by doing something like sprinting or doing burpees, something like that, that really gets you jacked up and adrenalized and your heart pounding and your vision a little blurry and gets you all sweaty and not your normal, fine, calm, in-control self. Then see how well you can actually gain access to your tool and what you can do with it. It's the same kind of thing that I encounter with firearms training where people think that just going to a range where you stand in a bay and you have a target that's at a distance that you set and you just stand there and shoot is going to prepare you for a dynamic situation where you're scared, there's chaos around you, your emotions are in chaos, and there's a lot more going on than just standing still, looking at a nice steady target being able to calmly breathe, calmly sight, and decide when to squeeze the trigger. That's why scenario-based firearms training is so valuable because it does the same thing that I'm suggesting you do with whatever tool you decide to use, which is puts you into scenarios where you are under some duress and some stress and you have to make decisions and you have to function in an off-balance, uncomfortable and not perfectly prepared and squared away situation. My third recommendation is to know your weapon. Whatever it is that you choose, and if you choose more than one, that's fine. But with each one, you need to get to know that as if it were a part of you. Safety mechanisms on different tools can be tricky to use. And if you don't know how to use them and you haven't practiced using them, You're either not going to be able to take care of it, you're not going to use it, or you're going to be a lot slower. Things like switching off a safeguard, pushing the right button, taking the cap off of the pepper spray, things like that are things that you need to practice before you ever actually are in a situation where you need to use the tool. So get to know them, know their quirks, know the feel, get so that you can do it with your eyes closed. Because there is no guarantee that if you actually need to get at one of these, you're going to be able to see what you're doing. If you're going to carry a tool with you, have it in a place that you can access it quickly. For example, I hear a lot of women say, you know, well, I I have pepper spray or I have a stun gun or a taser. And I ask them, oh, cool. Like, where do you, how do you carry it? And they'll say, oh, in my purse or in my pocket. Well, guess what? It's not going to be in your hand when you need it. So if you're having to fumble through your purse or dig through your pockets or swing your backpack around so you can get at the pouch while you're being attacked, that's not going to help you. That's going to help the person who is attacking you. So keep your weapon, keep your tool as accessible as you can so that you can get to it easily. Put it somewhere that it's not going to get buried underneath a bunch of other stuff. And if you actually feel like you might be in a sketchy situation, like if you're walking to your car at night in an isolated area, don't have that thing in your purse. Have it in your hand. Have it ready to go. Another recommendation is to layer your tools. Don't depend on one thing. 
because you actually move about through all different kinds of environments during the day. Some part of the day you may be at home, some part of the day you may be in your car, you may be at work, maybe you ride mass transit. So think about the places that you go and where you might actually be in a situation where you need to protect yourself and then decide on what kind of tool you want to keep there. Keep something on your person, like actually on your body. Keep something in your purse or your backpack. Keep a couple in your vehicle and then distribute other ones around your home and your office. So a new thing that's emerged in the last couple of years are phone apps that purport to be self-defense tools. And if they seem tempting, just remember that although they might call for help in an emergency or record what's happening so that investigators know more about what happened to you and maybe the perpetrator might be prosecuted later on, they're not going to do anything to disable your attacker right there in the moment, which is when you may be fighting for your life. So you can check them out. It's always good to have something. But again, be realistic about it and think about whether or not they're actually going to do you any good and whether or not you'll actually be able to use them. Right. Well, let's talk about what kind of tools there are, because there are many. The most popular ones for women, as far as I can tell, just talking to clients and to women that I meet, are things like the pain sprays like mace and uh, pepper gel. So mace is pretty much the same as pepper spray. They're very similar. They're a spray that forms a mist that you have to try to get in the eyes of the person who is attacking you. Pepper gel is a little bit more useful than that because the spray can actually get into your eyes and affect you. The gel doesn't seem to do that quite so much. So those are small things that you can carry that can be easily attached to a keychain, things that you can easily hold in your hand. And nowadays they make things like that with disable pins in them so that if your attacker tries to wrest it away from you, it actually won't work if they try to use it on you. So pain sprays are a kind of cool thing to have. There are tools that make noise. So a couple are things like a keychain alarm, something that you can attach to a purse where you can press it and it sets an alarm off. One of my favorites is actually a doorstop alarm that you can use in a door or in a window. That makes a heck of a lot of noise if somebody tries to open it. So something that makes noise. That would also include things like the classic old rape whistle. Damsel in Defense actually now has come out with some really pretty ones that look like jewelry. So you can get something like that if you want something that's going to make a lot of noise. Because remember, one of your goals may be to draw as much attention to what's going on as possible. And those can definitely help. Another kind of tool might be the stun device. There are stun guns and tasers in that category. The stun gun is actually something where you have to be in very close proximity because you actually have to touch the other person with it in order to give them the electric stun. The taser is more of a distance tool. I don't remember exactly how far the range is, but it's several feet, many feet. And it basically shoots out two little wires with little hooks that hopefully you are able to aim well enough and get into the person that you're trying to tase. And that basically just affects their nervous system and shuts down the lights. And that's a good thing for you. 
So things that cause that kind of disruption can also be very helpful. Just be aware that if you carry a stun gun, that's not going to do you any good if somebody is out of arm's reach. They also don't tend to really disable people. The stun guns don't. They'll, they'll definitely disrupt what's happening and give you a few moments, but they're not necessarily going to stop somebody. Now, some of the more common old tools that have been around for millennia, basically, are things that cut. So any kind of knife or they make little things that are like credit card knives now. They're kind of cool. Anything that you can use to cut anything that you can use to throw a projectile of some sort, anything that actually shoots some sort of a projectile. It doesn't necessarily have to be a firearm with actual lead bullets in it. There's other things that you can get. Uh, My son actually, for a while, carried a little tiny crossbow. He kept that in his room because he didn't feel very safe at the place that he was living. And that's, that's a tiny little thing that shoots a little tiny bolt. I sure would not want to have one of those aimed at me. So things that cut, things you can throw, and projectiles. Then there's things that you can swing. There are some ancient weapons that are rocks and things like that on the end of a rope. And you can even make a small version of that called a monkey fist out of some cord. And I'll tell you, it looks pretty innocuous, but if you get smacked in the head or somewhere with one of those, it's really painful. So the last kind that I'm going to talk about right now are striking tools. And these have become pretty popular over the last decade or so for women to carry. They're called kubatons. They're just small little tools. They may be just a cylinder. Sometimes they have points at one end and sometimes they have little ridges in them so you can hold them in your hand with the point sticking out one end and the blunt end sticking out the other. And you can use that to poke. You can also put your keys on one end because a lot of these kubatons now come with that keychain loop on the end. And that actually makes a pretty cool thing. I used to carry my keys on that for quite a long time. And those are pretty darn painful if you hold the kubaton in your hand and you use it to swing the keys. That's a pretty painful thing to do to somebody. So there's small things like the kubaton that you can hold in your hand. The old classic baseball bat is a great swinging, striking tool. There are some expandable batons that you can carry that look pretty harmless. And I'm sure you can think of some other ones. I'd love to hear some of the things that come to your minds about weapons like these. There are also improvised weapons or weapons in disguise that you can carry. And I'm a big fan of these because, well, A, I tend to like sneaky things like this. And B, if the person who's attacking me thinks that I'm unarmed, but doesn't recognize that I have one of these weapons in disguise, then he's going to get a hell of a shock. So some of those things that you can use are things like umbrellas. Not, well, I guess you could use a little roll-up one as well as a a striking thing, but the longer old-fashioned ones with the points on the tips are super awesome tools. A pen doesn't even have to be a tactical pen, just a regular pen can function like a kubaton. It's great for poking people. Uh, There's all kinds of things you can do with a pen. A flashlight. Again, it doesn't even have to be a tactical flashlight, but if you have one on you, depending on the size, that's something that you can swing and hit people with. 
It's also something where bright light in the eyes can be a very effective thing to turn on to your attacker. Even if it only buys you a momentary pause, that's something that you can use. Rocks or bricks or other heavy things are also good things that you can use to smash and to throw. Common tools like a screwdriver, a hammer, a box cutter. Those are great things and they look pretty innocuous. There's nothing weird about having one in your car, for example, or having one at home. Maybe kind of questionable if you have one in your purse. But again, they're normal objects that can actually be turned to a self-defense use. And one of the more bizarre ones that maybe a lot of people wouldn't even think about are things like a rolled up newspaper. Now, my association with that was way, way back in my childhood when we had dogs that would sometimes get into things they weren't supposed to. My mom would roll up a newspaper and swat them on the nose. Well, I've never done that with my dogs, but I remember the technique. And actually, a rolled up newspaper can be quite a good bludgeoning tool. So make a habit of checking around you and seeing what sort of things there are that you could use in a pinch if you needed a weapon to supplement your natural tools. It's kind of a fun game. For some of the commercial self-defense tools, there are some legal issues that you should check out before you actually buy one and carry one because the laws in the U.S. vary from state to state. And I'm sure that there are many differences in other countries about what's allowable and what is not. For example, here in the U.S., in California, I can carry a stun gun. In Massachusetts, where my daughter and my sister live, they cannot. Not easily, anyway. They have to get a permit for it. So check out what your laws are in the place that you live before you decide to buy a tool. And make sure that it's okay for you to have. So before we wrap it up, I want to give you some food for thought in terms of thinking about different scenarios where you may want to have some sort of a tool handy. These are scenarios where there is a possibility of violence to happen and where you may want to be a little bit more prepared. One scenario is domestic violence. I have heard from so many women who are either still in those situations or who have managed to escape but are still being stalked by their abusers, where they just know that there is the possibility of that person finding out where they live, number one, coming to their home and breaking through the door to attack them, or confronting them at work or another place that they predictably regularly go. In those situations, it may be a great idea to have something like a taser. Another scenario where you may want to have a tool with you is if you happen to be a realtor who meets with clients either in a closed office or at an isolated location. That happens all the time when realtors show houses to potential clients. And it's difficult because you don't want to show up to meet a client with your pepper spray in your hand, for example. But you can have something like a little multi-tool that's a flashlight and a stun gun that just looks normal. That makes sense if you're going into a house where you want to be able to look into the nooks and crannies or maybe go out to look in a shed, something like that. 
having a tool with you that is relatively innocuous, but that you can use if this potential client, supposed client, actually has bad intentions, can make a huge difference. The same thing if you are any kind of therapist or person who meets with clients in closed rooms, whether it's a therapy room, a massage room, even hairdressers who have private salons where they only meet with one client at a time. Those who provide services in locations where it's just them and the client may want to have within that environment some tools that they can easily put their hands on if they need to. Women often think about scenarios of date rape, and I think that if you are going to be dating, you might want to think about what can you have with you and what can you stage in your environment just in case things go wrong in the car, at your door, or even inside your apartment or your date's place. The final one that I'm going to throw out for you to think about is business situations, especially if you go to big conferences where there may be vendor parties or to events where there are after parties or even just regular work week situations where there is after work going out with the guys. Those kinds of situations can sometimes get out of hand and you may be at risk. So think about what you might be able to take with you just in case you need to have something. So to wrap it up, self-defense tools can be very handy additions to your total self-defense toolkit, which, if you remember, starts with what you can do with your own body. If you buy one, practice accessing it until you can do it well when you're stressed. If it's something that you plan to use, make sure you actually put it where you plan to keep it, in your purse, next to your front door, on your bedside table, because it won't do you any good in a box at home. And then run through some realistic scenarios where you can practice getting through that oh shit moment and gaining access to your tool, as well as what you can do if you can't get to it, or it malfunctions, or it gets lost or broken or taken away in the fight. Do I encourage women to carry and have in their environment self-defense tools? You betcha I do. Am I skeptical of some of the things on the market? Yep, I definitely am. And you should be too. Because remember, any tool that you have is one that needs to work according to how your body mechanics work. It needs to be something that you can practice with. And it needs to be something that hopefully you can conceal or at least disguise so that you can have it with you and not alert potential attackers to the fact that you are armed until the moment where you actually need it. So buy your tools, practice with them, but just remember that you need to build your human weapon system first because that's the thing that you know you are always going to have. So that's it for this week. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. 
Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.